In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I recently heard a story about a young boy who decided he was going to leave his home. This teenager went down to his parents' living room and found the two of them sitting there on the couch, and he said to them, this town is too small for me. There's not enough here. I've made up my mind. I'm leaving. I want adventure and excitement and adrenaline and fast cars and great parties and, and lavish food. I'm convinced I won't find that here, so I'm leaving and don't you dare try to stop me. And as this boy began walking towards the door, his dad leapt off the couch and ran to him. And the boy said, didn't you hear me say, don't stop me? And the dad said, who said anything about stopping you? I'm going with you. How many of us have plans for our lives? We have a path that we've defined, we have things we want to accomplish, and we say to those around us, don't get in my way, don't try to stop me. And what happens when God's plans are different from ours? About 700 BC, a new monarch came to the throne of Israel, King Ahaz. Israel, you see, had gone astray. The, the people were refusing to follow God's law. In short, they were saying, I've got a path, don't stop me. So God sent the prophet Isaiah with two messages. First of all, a warning to the people of Israel. If you continue to follow your own path and not God's, it will lead you to pain and destruction and devastation and suffering. And second of all, Isaiah came with a promise of hope. One day, there would be an opportunity for the people, even who had turned from God, to choose once again to follow him. And the sign that this day had arrived would be a young woman would give birth to a child and name him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. But even after hearing these two messages from Isaiah, the people refused to change their way. They had their own plans. They had their own ideas. They said, no one should get in my way. I have a path. And it can be easy to condemn others. But aren't we all a bit like this? I'm a bit like this. I have my plans, I have my dreams, I know what I want to accomplish this year or probably next. But how do I respond? How do we respond when God calls us to something different? Do we get angry with God? Do we just ignore God? The gospel reading today was the Christmas story, but it's the Christmas story from a different perspective than we're accustomed to. There's no census that's causing Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem. There's no stable because there's no room in the inn. There's no record of the shepherds out in the field or the angelic choir that appears to them. 
All of that, you see, is in the Gospel of Luke. And if you come back in a couple days, you can hear it. But today we read from Matthew. And the difference is this is the Christmas story told from Joseph's perspective, not Mary's. So what do we know about Joseph? There's good evidence that Joseph was older than Mary. You see, we hear about Joseph when Jesus is being born, and we hear about Joseph when Jesus is a young man in the temple, but after that, Joseph seems to disappear from the story, and it's probably because Joseph died sometime before Jesus reached his 30s. The traditional understanding is Joseph is older than Mary, and Matthew's gospel tells us that Mary and Joseph were engaged. In their culture, marriage would have been sort of a two-step process, a little bit more formalized than we have in our society today, but similar in some ways. There would have been a ring that he would have probably given Mary or something of value when they were betrothed. But the next year before they were married and moved into a house together, it would have been different from our culture in that there would have been a structured process. Joseph would have used this year to prepare a home for Mary to make sure it was fully furnished, to make sure that, that he had a strong livelihood. He would have refined his craft as a carpenter. All of this is to say that Joseph was an older man than Mary. He'd probably been planning to get married for a long time. He'd probably been working hard in his house and in his work to make sure that he was ready to be married. Joseph, in short, wasn't just winging it. Joseph had a plan. Joseph had a path he'd defined. Joseph had goals and ideas about where he'd be. That is, until everything changed. How many of us have had one of those moments in our lives when everything is suddenly turned upside down? I have a friend who went to college and decided to, to be a pre-med major. After finishing college, she applied to medical schools, and then she went through medical school, and then applied to residencies, and went through residency, and then a fellowship, and went through her fellowship, and finally became an anesthesiologist. But within a couple years of becoming an anesthesiologist, she passed out in a surgery. She found out that she had a condition that caused low blood pressure and could occasionally cause fainting, and she realized that what she had worked for for so long wasn't exactly what she could do with the rest of her life. In a flash, her plans evaporated. And maybe you've had that sort of moment in your life also, when everything abruptly changed. Maybe you discovered an affair, or a child died, or you were told that your job was redundant, or the doctor said that she had bad news. This was Joseph's experience. All his plans went up in smoke. Mary was pregnant. The child wasn't his. He didn't want to embarrass Mary, but he also had to think about himself. He had to think about his livelihood. What would his neighbors say? This had never been Joseph's plan. A few years ago, a psychologist, a social psychologist, 
and a professor at Harvard named Dan Gilbert wrote a book called Stumbling on Happiness. And the, the point of his research and his book is that we are phenomenally bad at figuring out what will make us happy, what will bring us joy, what will bring us purpose and meaning in life. He would say that some of us are fortunate enough to just stumble on happiness, but our plans don't necessarily lead where we think they will. And this should give us reason to rejoice. Because what this means is that if our plans aren't turning out exactly the way we wanted them to, they may not have been leading where we wanted them to lead anyways. After all, our plans might not have been leading us to the joy or the happiness or the meaning or the purpose that we seek. In short, we need to learn to hold our plans a little more loosely. And that's what Joseph did when this angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph acknowledged that his plans were God, were gone, and instead he trusted in God's plans. He accepted the message of this angel, and because Jesus was born into this family, humanity was changed forever. And frankly, we're called to do the same thing with the roles we're given. Instead of focusing on our plans, accepting the plans that God has for us. Now, I know some of us like concrete guidance on how we can implement these sorts of things. So there are three actions that Joseph took that we can also take as we practice claiming God's plans as our plans for our lives. First of all, Joseph took time to discern God's will. You see, it was long before the angel appeared to Joseph in his dream that he discovered Mary was pregnant. And notice his reaction. He didn't shout and scream and rant and make rash decisions and rush to find some sort of conclusion. Instead, he allowed time to pass. He slowed down. He thought about the right moral and ethical way to approach this situation. He thought about how to protect Mary. Presumably, he prayed about what he should do, how to make the right moral decision. And it turns out that because he didn't rush into making a decision the moment he found out Mary was pregnant, because he slowed down, he was ready to hear the message of the angel when the angel appeared to him in this dream. Second of all, Joseph didn't allow his fear to prevent him from trusting in God's plan. Do you know what the most commonly repeated command in the Bible is? Do not be afraid. Fear not. We're told this again and again and again and again in the Bible. And do you know why we're told it again and again and again? It's because many of us are afraid so much of the time. It seems like there is so much to fear. The stock market and interest rates and pandemics and escalating military conflicts. And the problem is when we are overwhelmed by fear, it's like we put blinders on ourselves and all we can see is one possible path that could maybe make things work out in our lives. 
So when the angel appeared to Joseph in this dream, the angel's first words were, Joseph, do not be afraid. And Joseph trusted God and was able to hear this message. And third of all, Joseph trusted in the presence of God with him. When the angel appeared to Joseph, the angel quoted the words Isaiah had said to King Ahaz 700 years earlier. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. God is with us. Joseph's third action was to remember that he was not alone. Once we remember God's presence in our own lives, then we don't have to cling so fearfully to our own plans, afraid that they will be changed or ripped away from us. But instead, we can trust that God is with us no matter the twists and the turns in our paths. And as a matter of fact, that's one of the themes of the season of Advent, a season of searching and waiting and preparing and remembering that we are never alone. So our scripture passages today call us to this practice of letting go of our own plans and trusting in God's instead. And specifically in each of our lives, we can look to the example of Joseph, who taught us to slow down, allowing time to discern God's will, to overcome our fears so that we can hear the voice of God, and to remember that God is with us. After all, that was the promise of Isaiah 2,700 years ago. That was the fulfillment we saw on that first Christmas night when Jesus was born, Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Amen.